morning, Wellspring. Yes, that's wrong. That that the, the the lost guy playing Jesus just throws me off every time, every week. European lost guy always throws me off. But um, but one of the things I love about that story, uh, and I just I just noticed this kind of last night as I was studying through, is even NIV Bible they have different like kind of section headers and chapters. And one of the things that I love is is when you when you hear that story and Jesus tells all those things, you look at the next section and it says the unbelief of the Jews. Like they hear all this stuff and they just say no. And then you look at the next section and it says. The death of Lazarus, which of course we know what comes after that. And I can't wait to talk to you guys more about what that means uh, for this story. But hello, my name's Jordan. Uh, I am the minister to students and families here at Wellspring Church, if you're a visitor. Uh, if that sounds too complicated for you, you can just call me the youth minister. That's fine as well. And uh, Scott is out of town this week. He is, I believe, visiting family. And so uh, I, I'm going to be covering for him this morning. And we're going to be covering John chapter 10. You might remember that uh, Scott covered part of John chapter 10, that first part about the gate couple weeks ago, but this week we're going to be diving into the section, or the second half of John chapter 10. But first of all, I just want to say thank you, moms. I know that it's Mother's Day, and today is not a Mother's Day-themed sermon, but uh, we still want to say thank you so much, moms. Uh, I know that for some of us, Mother's Day is a difficult time. For some of us, it's an amazing time, but either way, every single person in here had a mom. And in a nation where a lot of women choose not to have their babies, your mom chose to have you and to give you life. And so let's give moms a hand. Thank you, mom. Thank you so much. And I also understand that uh, I have a reputation for going a little long. And so uh, our our students listen to me preach for about 45 minutes on Wednesday nights. So sometimes I go a little long. Um, But this morning, I know you guys want to get out of here. You want to eat lunch and hang out. Uh, And moms, you've got, uh, you're cooking lunch for everyone, even though it's Mother's Day, which is ridiculous. Uh, But uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and set a timer right now on my phone because I do not want to run over today. I want to make sure we get out of here in a timely fashion. But I'm going to go ahead and open this up in a word of prayer this morning. And uh, I think I need this more than anybody this morning. So if you would pray with me, I would really appreciate it. And pray for me. I'd appreciate that as well. Let's pray. Father God, I... uh, I thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, be part of an excellent church family here at Wellspring. And I thank you also for uh, the opportunity to speak from your word and to study your word, to learn from your word. And God, I thank you this morning that uh, I get to do this and to celebrate this on a day when uh, we get to celebrate our moms. We get to celebrate the women in our lives uh, that have made the biggest impact on us. I thank you for their example of humility and patience and love and endurance uh, that lasts no matter what. And I pray this morning that we able to reflect on that love and that endurance and that patience uh, in context of your love and your endurance and your patience. And God, I pray over this text this morning. I pray through me. I know that I am an idiot and I don't have a lot to say myself, uh, even though I tend to say a lot. But God, you have a lot that you want to say to us and to me this morning. So God, I pray that you would speak to me and through me, not for my glory, but for yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to be in John chapter 10 today. So if you want to turn there, you can go ahead and feel free. And we're going to hop around to a couple different places today. We'll see if we get to, uh, get to it all. But we're mostly going to be hanging out in John chapter 10. So go ahead and turn to John chapter 10 for me. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking to crowds of people, uh, probably more people than you see in that video, honestly. Uh, Jesus is talking to a whole lot of people. And his audience, something you should understand, his audience is mostly Jewish, pretty much completely Jewish. Uh, it's Jewish people that, that are of the nation of Israel that follow uh, the, uh, the Old Testament law, and uh, in, mixed in with them uh, are Pharisees, or the 
teachers of the law, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And so Jesus is speaking to crowds of people that are Jewish, and intermixed with that are, uh, are also religious leaders of his day. And that kind of gives us some context for what he's talking about here. So first thing I want to cover, okay? Every pastor covers this whenever they preach the sermon, okay? I, I, li- like I literally listened to like 10 sermons this week on this text, and every single pastor almost preached on, tend to focus on uh, that, the, that sheep are dumb. Who in here has been in church their whole life, and they, you've heard a pastor preach a sermon that says, sheep are dumb. Who in here has heard that sermon? I've heard that sermon a million times. And I finally got to one guy, one guy who was like, you know what? I've heard that sermon so many times. I'm so tired of hearing that. This text, the focus isn't even on the sheep. Yes, sheep are dumb. In fact, I learned this week that sheep, well, they actually have to be led to pasture for a really good reason. The reason they have to have a shepherd to lead them to pasture is because if you leave a, a herd of sheep in one place, they will literally eat all the grass in that one place and then eat each other's feces and then die. They, even if there's grass like across the road, they won't go over there. They will stay in one spot and just devour everything around them and then die and starve to death because they're ridiculous and dumb. So yes, sheep are dumb. I think we have that out of the way. And yes, the sheep in this story are supposed to represent us uh, or God's people. And uh, sheep can be dumb and they do need a shepherd. But that's not going to be my main focus of my sermon today. That's not going to be the main focus of what we're looking at in this text today. But I do want to get it out of the way. Uh, that, that sheep can be dumb. And yes, I understand that. But the, the big focus of this text is that Jesus is preaching about himself. Jesus is the core of this text. And that's what I want to talk about today is Jesus. Um, I also want to say this. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, Scott talked about this a couple weeks ago. I, I love this, this scripture. If you want to throw it up there for me real quick. Uh, really just the second half is what I want to focus on in John chapter 10, verse 10. But I love where Jesus says, uh, he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And that's, that's a scripture that should be highlighted in your Bible because I feel like for a lot of folks, that is just, it's a verse that we don't, think about much. It's not really a verse that just that doesn't, it's not really a verse that seems to flow out of our lives as Christians. When I see the way that Christians talk, and I see the way that Christians act, and I see sometimes the way that Christians respond to, or, or react more likely to different things in our culture, I don't see a lot of like this attitude that, that, that Christ came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. I love how Scott said this uh, a couple weeks ago when he said, I used to have students that would always tell me, like, well, I don't want a relationship with Jesus. I don't want to be a Christian because Jesus doesn't let me have any fun. And he'd say, no, 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 where's, where's that at? Jesus came, said he came so that we might have life and have it abundantly, have a, a lot of life. Uh, my, my NIV says have it in full, have a full life. And you know what? There's a lot of people out there that maybe can say they led a, a pretty good life or a, had a fun life, but there's not a lot of people that can say they led a full life, a life full of all kinds of things, full of all kinds of experiences, full of, of all kinds of, of growth and change and full of, of good moments and bad moments. But at the end of it all, it was full. And I, I just, I want that kind of life for us. And I need you to know, I need you to understand. I need, I need you to approach this text this morning from the understanding that Jesus came so that we might have life and have it abundantly, have a lot of it, have it abundantly. And I, and I feel like sometimes it's hard for us to believe this or to actually see this as a truth because life is really, really hard sometimes. Life is really, really tough sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes obedience is, is, is easy. Sometimes following Jesus or, or doing what he says or, or becoming more like Christ is really easy. And sometimes it's, 
It's really, really difficult. And I know like, I could say sometimes it's really difficult because we get tempted into this and this and this, and sometimes it's really difficult because you know, we, we're broken people and we have a sinful nature and yada, yada, yada. But really, sometimes obedience is difficult just because life is hard. Life is scary. It's like it's really difficult to trust God with your money because you're already struggling in your finances. Like it's, it's really hard to trust that God has your best interests at heart when sometimes all the things that are happening in your life almost seem to point to the opposite. It's really hard. Uh, obedience is hard when we're, when we're sad and ashamed. Obedience is hard when we're bitter and angry from the ways that we've been hurt. Obedience is hard when we're fearful and scared of our, our circumstances and the things that have happened to us and the things that we've seen and seen happen to others. Obedience can be really, really difficult, but you've got to understand, point number one, that God came to earth and became a human being so that we could have life and have it abundantly. When he says that we can have life and have it abundantly, you realize he doesn't just mean in the next life. Like that's going to be a very abundant life. But he, he wants you to have an abundant life. Now, I'm not, I'm not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel preacher, okay? I'm not up here saying that God wants you to have wealth and have it abundantly. That's not what I'm telling you. Because you might go through this life and be in very difficult circumstances. Life isn't always going to be fun. It can be very, very difficult. And sometimes it can be difficult from beginning to end, but God came so that you could have life and have it abundantly, have a full life, no matter what your circumstances are. That's a life that I want. Wealth and fame and fortune, my health, all those things will fade someday. Every single one of those will fade and be gone someday. Whether it's at the end of my life, whether it's after I die or, or before that, all those things will disappear. But a satisfaction that comes from Jesus Christ, that lasts no matter what. That lasts forever. And God came so that you could be satisfied and be satisfied fully, not just in the next life, but in this life as well. We'll come back to that later. We're going to move ahead a little bit. I'm just going to read straight through John chapter 10, verses 11 through 16 this morning. So if you want to follow along with me, feel free. Verses 11 through 16. All right, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm going to stop right there for a second. If you haven't been here for the last few weeks, we've been in a series called I Am. We've been talking about the I Am statements of Jesus. A lot of, our culture tells us all the time, different people tell us who Jesus is. Our parents told us who Jesus was. Uh, our friends tell us who Jesus is. Uh, the History Channel tells us who Jesus is. There's a lot of different voices talking about who Jesus is, who he was, and we are going to look at, we're doing the whole point of this series is to look at who did Jesus say he was. And so today's statement is, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is, hired, he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. You know what's really funny about this scripture? I heard this preached at a, uh, a pastor's conference one time, and that, 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 that interpretation of this passage has always stuck with me. Because as pastors, you know what our tendency is? Even if we would never admit this, okay? You know what our tendency is as pastors? To, it's to read this text, to look at this text, and we look at this text and we're like, okay, where, where do I insert myself? Where, who am I in this text? And as pastors, even if we would never admit this, our tendency at, at, at times is to look at this and be like, you know what? I'm the shepherd. 
I'm the shepherd. Wow, I'm the shepherd. I thank you, thank you, God. Oh, thank you for your for your making putting me in this role of the shepherd. Thank you for uh, for putting me over these wayward and lost sheep. Thank you for for gifting me with great preaching talents or, or with a righteous life with a biblical education with great administration skills. Thank you, God, for making me the shepherd. Wow, wow, how amazing. Have you ever heard like a priest or a or a pastor refer to their congregation as like their flock? Have you ever heard that before? You've, you've heard you've heard you've heard of people doing that or saying that referring to a congregation as their flock. Well, it's funny to me because like I hope I never get that attitude. I hope that's never my attitude. And man, if I ever do get that attitude, which I have and I probably do at times, definitely, I hope that God smacks me right in the face and says, "Hey, buddy, you're not the shepherd. You're not the shepherd." Uh, you're not the shepherd, I'm the shepherd. I am the shepherd. I, I said it twice just to make sure you could get through your thick skull. I am the shepherd. You are not the shepherd. If anything, you're acting like the hired hand right now. I'm the shepherd. And I, I, and I, want, I want to say something to you guys. Like, let me say something. This church has been such a blessing to me in my life. You guys are amazing. You are so sweet. I, I know that I've got my own struggles and my own failings and my own ways that that God is still shaping me, and yet right when I feel like I'm, I'm just some dumb hired hand that's completely unqualified to be here and, and, and to talk to you guys and to minister to you guys and, and your teenagers, one of you comes up to me and says some of the nicest stuff I've, I've ever heard. One of you will shoot me a text late at night. One of you will invite me to lunch, or, or, or you and your kids will make me a birthday card. And, and I just want to say, like, your kindness and your generosity, Jesus puts his hands on my shoulders and he says, look, you're not the shepherd, but you're not the hired hand. You're, you're a sheep. Like, even though you're a pastor, okay, it's sheep leading sheep. You, you're a sheep. You're one of my sheep. I've known you since before you were born. You belong to me. You are mine. And I never want you to underestimate how much of a blessing your, your encouragement and your small kindnesses are to us as a staff. I never want you to, 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 to miss that. Because I don't think Scott would feel comfortable saying some of these things from stage, so I try to throw stuff out that Scott can't really say as, as a senior pastor. But man, I, I see how you guys encourage him and me and Phil and, our, and just all of our staff in general. And I want you to know that, that that keeps the kingdom moving forward. That's a huge blessing to our ministry. And we are so thankful for you guys. But please hear me out. Please don't make us your shepherd. Please don't make me your shepherd. Please don't make Scott your shepherd or Phil your shepherd or Aaron your shepherd or our elders your shepherd or any of anyone. Please don't make any human being your shepherd, okay? You need to make Jesus your shepherd. The one who loves without limit and without fault. He's the perfect shepherd. We are poor substitutions for that shepherd. So please don't make us into that shepherd in your life. Don't put me in that role because I, I can't do it. I can barely do anything. I promise you I can't do that. I can barely keep my taxes together, okay? You don't want me as your shepherd, all right? Do not make me your shepherd. And Scott, man, I know Scott better than you do. You don't want Scott as your shepherd, all right? I work for him, okay? You don't want him as your shepherd. But there's a lot of people, and I, can tell you, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, like, I, I've heard people say things that, like, oh, you know, I'm just not being fed. 
by my pastor. The pastor let me down that one time because he didn't say hi to me the right way. Or maybe he acted too busy. Or, or maybe he, he made a poor leadership decision. Or maybe he's just kind of disengaged. Or maybe he's depressed, okay? Uh, maybe, like, and, and people, I've heard people say this to me. As a youth minister, I, it's like sometimes I get the, the side complaints about the senior pastor, all right? Like, hoping that maybe I'll, like, direct them towards him. Uh, and I'm not saying that I get those from you guys all the time about Scott, but it's, I've been in that position many times. And it's like, for me, like, I, I hear that, and I'm just like, really, that's, that's what you're focused on? Like, you're focused on how the pastor isn't feeding you the exact right way? Because you know who needs fed? Babies. Babies need fed, okay? Those are the only people that need other people to feed them, okay? And here's the deal. Like, when you act like, the, like a pastor is your shepherd, when we act like the pastor is our shepherd, let me tell you, we idolize them. And, and whatever you idolize, I say this to our students all the time. Whatever you idolize, whatever we idolize, we eventually demonize. Whatever, whatever we look at and put on the throne of God, whenever it fails us, we tear it down in a really harsh way. And so I've seen this in churches so many times when, when, a, when a pastor is put onto a pedestal, and sometimes he puts himself on that pedestal, okay? Um, but I've seen this where, where a leadership is put on a pedestal, and when they fail, they're demonized. So don't put us on that pedestal. We, we, it's, we are ill fits for that throne. Jesus is the shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. Scott's not the shepherd. None of our staff or our elders are the shepherds of this church. Uh, Jesus is our senior pastor. He is the true senior pastor of Wellspring Church, and I want us to understand that. I want that to be something that we move forward in, that, that he is always the leader of our church, the shepherd of our congregation. We are his flock, not Scott's, not mine, not anybody else's. We are Jesus's flock. He is the good shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. And we've got to understand this if we are going to move forward because folks that are ill-fit to be shepherds wind up leading sheep to places that aren't good for sheep. If you don't know where to lead them, if we don't know where to go, if we don't have the perspective, sheep lead sheep, uh, sheep will actually follow other sheep off the side of a cliff. If they see a sheep just wandering towards the side of a cliff, they will all kind of just move in that general direction. And if they don't have someone guiding them, they will all take a dive off the cliff like lemmings. And uh, that's, that's, that's what happens when you have sheep leading sheep. And I've seen this happen in churches many, many, many times. And it's not just pastors who struggle with this attitude. It's not just pastors. It's all of us. We can all relate to this on, in, in some way, shape, or form. You can have this attitude at work where, where God has given you a ministry. He has handed you a group of people that you are, have your circle of influence. He's handed you a group of people that you are responsible for. And yet, sometimes we're too busy feeling superior to them our co-workers, because their sin is on the outside while ours is hidden in darkness. And sometimes we're too busy feeling superior to them, and, and it actually keeps us and hinders us from doing the ministry that God's called us to. And so we start thinking that we're superior to the other people, that, to the other sheep, even the ones that aren't of Jesus' flock quite yet. We can have this attitude when we, we serve in a church and we start thinking that we are martyrs for our particular uh, uh, circle of, or our particular ministry in the church, our particular place that we serve. And we can start thinking that nobody else cares about this the way that I care about this. And I, I'm going to die on this cross because, you know, this is just where God's put me. Like, that can be us feeling superior to the other sheep. That's not very humble. It can be behind our phones when we write up posts or blogs about the direction the world is headed or how we believe things should be, how we would shepherd the flocks of the world, how we would shepherd the church if we were in charge, what we would change, what we could make it better. And, and like that is not our role. That's Jesus' role, to shepherd the flock. 
We're just part of that flock. And yes, I understand when it gets lopsided sometimes when, when different men and different women put themselves in the position of Jesus, but we are still just called to follow Jesus. And sometimes it leads us to places that are, that are scary because maybe you've been part of a church body before where somebody took charge or somebody who should not have been in leadership became part of the leadership and you were like, oh my word, what do we do? Everything's going to burn to the ground. You know what? Christ is still on his throne. And I've got to say this when it comes to politics, too. I don't care who gets elected in 2016, to be honest with you, because my Jesus is still on his throne. And I don't need to move to Canada for him to be on his throne. Jesus is always going to be on his throne. We are all lousy shepherds, every single one of us. We are ill-fit for that throne. And we are terrible part-time workers who don't care enough, all right? Sometimes my sermons can be a little negative. That's because I'm hard on myself. And sometimes I feel like this. I feel like this guy. I relate to the, to the part-time worker in Scripture, which terrifies me. Sometimes we are terrible part-time workers who don't care enough. Uh, how many of you have ever, you've ever worked at a part-time job you didn't appreciate? Anybody, anybody been that? Maybe like whenever you were a teenager, maybe it was like your first job. Maybe like, maybe, how many of you worked at a part-time job you didn't appreciate? I have been there. Like you're, the job where your mantra was, not my problem, right? <laughs> like, this is, like I'm getting paid $5 an hour. This is back whenever I was part-time. I'm getting paid $5 an hour. I don't have anything invested in this place. This is not my problem. Uh, I was actually planning to show a video of um, some different like Taco Bell employees and things that they've done to like food and gotten like fired. Okay, and I was like, you know what? It's Mother's Day. Everybody's going out for lunch. <laughs> Just not gonna do that. But you can use your imagination. All right. Uh, and if that's if that's the thing that keeps you from eating at Taco Bell, you're already in trouble. All right. There's plenty of other reasons not to eat Taco Bell. Um, but here's here's what I want to say. When I was 17, actually, if I ever start a story that way, if I ever start a story with when I was 17 and it doesn't end with and met my wife, you know it's going to be a bad story, okay? Like, spoiler warning, you know it's going to be a story where I do something terrible because that was just a, that was a rough year. But when I was 17, uh, okay, I used to work for my dad at his store, all right? If you don't know what my dad does, he is the owner-operator at the Chick-fil-A's in uh, the Joplin area. And for those, it's like, I worked for him and... uh, I can tell you right now, I mean, he, he used to ride me, man. Like He was always on my back. I, I constantly felt like this. Like He was always on my back. Drove me nuts. I used to complain to the other people I was working with about how hard he was on me and how it was so unfair. And I used to think he would overreact when I was like five, 20 minutes late. <laughs> and I used to get frustrated with how much he called me out when my uniform wasn't in order. And then, and then one day, you know what my own dad did? He fired me. My dad... <laughs> Fired, <laughs> and it, I mean, in my mind, I don't know if this is true or not, because there's a lot of things that I just you know, those memories that you replace with something you kind of wish would happen, but I'm not sure if it's or not. But in my head, it's like I, I think it was more of a like, "You're fired. You can't fire me. I quit." Type thing. But he, either way, he fired me. My dad let me go, uh, and, and I just want to know. I, I was super embarrassed because you know my dad fired me. Like my dad, my dad, my dad, my dad fired me. And he still tells people about it today. I'm 28 years old, and my dad still tells everyone that he fired me when I was 17 years old. Yes, thank you, Dad. And I never really understood. I didn't, I didn't get it. I was like, why is, man, why is he so hard on me? Why, is, why did he make such a big deal about this small stuff? I don't understand it. And I never got it, not once, until I had a career that I loved and I cared about myself. 
until I had something, uh, people that counted on me, until I had something that I, that I poured my literal blood, sweat, and tears into, until I had something that I was passionate about, until I had something that, that I wanted to do and, and, and immeasurable uh, goals for success and for failure that, that, I, that I had for myself. I never understood why he was passionate about it because I was the part-time worker. I wasn't invested in Chick-fil-A. But for my dad, like, that's, that's life. Like, that's his job. Like, that is his career. It's his, it's part, it's a, it's his legacy. And so for me, I, I didn't get it. And, and I get it now. When you have something that you're passionate about, when you have something that you love, when you have something that you care about, when you have something you're invested in, it makes you see it differently. It makes you treat it differently. And the hired hand in this story, the, the hired hand, that's how sometimes we treat the kingdom of God. That's how we treat the kingdom of God. We treat it like a part-time job that we're just, ah, we're in it, or we're not. And if it fails or succeeds, like, ah, what, is, what do I really have to do with that? If it grows or declines, yeah, I'm just in it part-time. And I, and I think I, I can relate to this because I've been a youth ministry volunteer before and I've been a regular churchgoer before and there were times when I just, I was just ah, you know what, they'll get by without me. I'm just not going to show up or... I, I got a lot going on right now. I'm really busy. And we treat it like a part-time job. That's not how God sees it. That's not how our, our Lord and Savior sees his bride. That's not how he sees his church. That's not how he sees you. What if somebody, what if that person, the person, I know you've got that person in your mind, the person that was influential in your life and your walk with Jesus. What if that person looked at this as a part-time job and they just said, like, you know what, like, I'm really busy right now. There's somebody out there that needs you. Your specific gifting, your specific talents. Yes, even mine, even though there's none. Yes, there's people out there that need your specific giftings, and God's given you the tools to use to advance his kingdom. But sometimes we just we treat it like a teenager treats a part-time job. It breaks my heart, especially because I've been there. But Jesus feels a great responsibility for you because I want you to hear this. You are his. You belong to him. He's invested in you. He knows you. He loves you. Any moms in here ever been handed back their baby? Like, like everybody wants to hold them and squeeze them and kiss them and smush them until, like, until they smell like poop and they start screaming. And then it's like, ah, I don't know what you take it. Like, immediately, you're just like tossing the baby back. Like, okay, well, that's, that's my job. But you know what? That's because you're mom. That's because you're mom. That's because it's your baby. It belongs to you. It's not their baby. They don't, they're not invested in the, in, in the poopy diapers and the, the upbringing and the health of this child. They just think it's cute. But mom, you're, you're mom. You love that baby. That baby belongs to you. You care for that baby. You, you'll lay your life down for that baby. You pour everything out until you have nothing left for that baby because it's your baby. It's your baby. The shepherd's not going to bail when things get messy. The shepherd doesn't bail when things get messy. Do you understand that? Like, do, you, do you truly, truly, truly know that? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18 really quick. Um, Matthew chapter 18. I just have two verses and I want to cover really fast. And I'm just going to read them. You, uh, if, if you want to get there, you can. If not, it's fine. Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 through 13. What do you think, Jesus says? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I truly tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off. 
mean, that's, that's when Jesus says down here at the end, he says, like, I have sheep that are not yet of this flock. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's saying. And like, it's like, why would, it doesn't make any logical sense to me. Like, every time I've read this, I've been like, why would you do that? Why would you leave the 99 sheep to go find one? It's a stupid sheep. They, they can reproduce. Just make another one. Like, what, why do you that one? And the only explanation is he loves that sheep. He loves that sheep. And even if it doesn't make sense to you, even if you look at your life and you say, like, where does God have room for me? Like, look at everybody else around you. Look at everybody else's problems. Look at everything else that's happening with them. And yet I keep screwing up and doing the same things over and over and over. Why would God have time for me? Jesus says, I, all those other ones, I will gladly leave them behind and go find the one that's lost. I will gladly seek out the one sheep that needs some help from me and leave the ones that are doing okay. Because I love that sheep. That sheep has my attention has my love, has my desire. I, I love that sheep and I want to take care of them and I want to see them continue to grow. And uh, when we turn back to, to John chapter 10 really quick, Jesus says in here, he says that when the hired hand bails, he says the wolf shows up and then the hired hand bails. And, and I actually, I heard a sermon this week from a pastor that I love, made me so angry, made me so mad because he took this scripture completely out of context. And I was like, what are you doing, man? This is terrible. This is a terrible sermon. What have you done? And when I'm calling your sermon terrible, you know you're in trouble. And like he, and one, if you're saying that the hired hand was the enemy, all right, the hired hand, and I was like, no, you are the hired hand. You and me, I'm the, like, the, he's the hired hand, okay? The religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, those are the hired hands, not the wolf. The wolf is the wolf of every man and woman in this world. It's the wolf of sin and of death. It's the thing that comes for us in the night. It's the thing that comes for us, and it's the one thing that can kill us and take us and drag us under. And I want you to understand, this is before Jesus died and rose again. This is before anybody knew that death could be defeated. This is before Lazarus. Do you see the implications here? When Jesus says, like, I, can lay, I have the authority to lay my life down and take it back up again, and I can do the same for you, and everybody says, shh. And then chapter 11, the death of Lazarus. <laughs> like, Jesus is like, okay, you don't believe me? Boom! Lazarus is up, okay? And I need you to get this. The wolf is, it's not just life's trouble. It's not just the little individual tic-tacs of life, the little bad things that happen. The wolf is the big stuff. It is sin and death. And I think that God cares about the small happenings in our life. I do believe that, okay? I don't think that's, not saying that God doesn't care about your problems. He absolutely does. He's invested in those. But what Jesus is talking about here is the, the sin and death that pulls humanity under and drags us down and keeps us there until he showed up. You see, when a wolf shows up, two men do one of two things. One heads out. One bails. Okay? I guarantee you, when I was 17, if a wolf showed up at Chick-fil-A, I'm not sticking around to save the chicken. Okay? I'm heading out. All right? I'm gone. All right? That, like, one man bails, and the other puts a line in the sand. Because I want, you to, I want you to hear this again. Let's read this again. Where it says, uh, Jesus says, uh, I have, uh, verse, uh, sorry, verse, uh, here it is, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me. I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. I lay my life down for the sheep. One man heads out and one draws a line in the sand. And it's kind of crazy when you think of a shepherd, like, a shepherd is a human being, and sheep are sheep. 
It doesn't make sense for a shepherd to die for a flock of sheep, like just to save the sheep. And it doesn't make sense for a God of the universe to come and to die for us. But he did it anyway because he loves us that much. And his love is beyond understanding. And that's what Jesus is communicating to us here. He's saying, look, I I understand. You're just sheep, okay? Get over it. You just are. I'm not saying that to you. Jesus is saying that. Someday I'm going to be dead and gone. The Bible is still going to say, hey, you're a dumb sheep. So just get over it. But God still laid his life down for you because he sees so much value in you and he loves you so much. I've been catching up on my history lately. I've been reading and listening to some history podcasts and stuff. I heard this story about the 300 Spartans, all right? 300 Spartans who defended Greece from a million Persian soldiers. History tells us that when the Persian king Xerxes, when he, he, he sent these messengers to these 300 Greeks who were standing in the road, keeping the Persian army from advancing. And he sent this message and he's like, hey guys, Get out the way. And they say, nah. And the, 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 um, the, sorry, the Spartans had this way of speaking that is now these days translated into one-liners. I want you to imagine a culture of people that talk like Clint Eastwood, okay? That was how these guys talked. They spoke in like one-liners. I kid you not. There's literally, there's literally like a whole type of speaking in the English language that's named after the Spartan people. And these guys, this is how they talk. And so he keeps sending messengers out, and the, and the Spartans keep saying, like, we're not moving. Sorry. I understand there's only 300 of us, and there's a million of you. We're not going anywhere because we care about our homeland. And Xerxes finally comes out himself. He says, men of Sparta, lay down your weapons, just lay them in the sand, and go home. And there's no harm, no foul. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to ravage your homeland. Just go home. And the Spartans say two words. They say two words. Malan lave. What that means is, come and take them. Come and take them. That is the line in the sand that the shepherd draws for you. That is the line in the sand that he willingly lays down his life. Nobody took those men's lives. They laid them down to protect their country. Jesus lays his life down for you willingly. Jesus is in it for the long haul. When when everyone else fails you, when everything comes crashing down, when heaven and earth fall, when when, uh, the sun fades from existence and and everything goes cold, when every cell of life and atom in this physical realm is gone, you know what's going to remain forever? God's love for you. Do you understand that? God's love for you will last no matter what. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care who you were last weekend or last night or this morning. God loves you yesterday, today, tomorrow, the same. He loves you. His love will never fail. It will never give up. It never runs out. And you've probably sang those words a thousand times, half asleep on a Sunday morning. But do you, Christian, do you believe that? That his love never fails you. It never runs out. It never gives up. He's not here to ask you to get it all together. He's not here to ask you to do a better job. Does God know everything? If, I, if we had kids in the classroom, if I ask kids, hey, does God know everything? Some kids be like, yes! Okay, yes, God knows everything. We understand that. And it seems, it seems logical to me that if God knows everything, and one day when I was six years old, I asked for forgiveness for what? What had I done at six years old? I asked for forgiveness, and God said, I love you, and I forgive you. It it stands to reason that if God knows everything, he wasn't just forgiving me for the time that I stole a cookie. 
He was forgiving me for, for my sins yesterday, today, tomorrow. He was, I, I was wiped clean of all the things that I didn't even understand yet, the sins that I hadn't even done yet. God loved me anyway, and he forgave me anyway. God says, I, Jesus says, I'm not making a checklist for you. I'm not, I don't look down on you in shame and say, oh, man, they screwed up again. I look down and I, I say, I love you. I love you. I see you as clean. I just want to know you better. And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees here. They're the hired hands of this story, the religious men of their day, the guys who said, hey, if you keep these rules and do these things and you perform X, Y, and Z well enough and you act Jewish enough, then maybe God will love you. That's who Jesus says the hired hand is. He says, you know why those guys are the hired hand? Because when sin and death show up, they can't do squat about it. Their laws and their religion and their performances can't do squat. I'm here to show you something else. I'm here to lay down my life, and guess what? I've got the authority to take it back up. i got no reason to be afraid of the wolf. He can't do squat to me, and I'm standing between you and him. He can't do squat to you. He came so that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it in full, a life that is full here and a life that is full when this life ends. That's a shepherd I can trust. That's a shepherd I can follow. And I'm going to close this out today by looking at Psalm 23. Uh, you guys have heard this. I know you've heard it. You've got a bookmark or a coffee mug that has Psalm 23 on it. Uh, we've all heard it. You've heard it in a movie before. Uh, this is a scripture that I've probably prayed for myself more than any other scripture. I just, I've had it memorized since I was a child, and I use it constantly because it's such a great reminder. Psalm 23, the Psalm of David, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Literally what that means is I have nothing to want for. He gives me everything. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. All right? Like my dog yesterday when she's like bored. Ooh, she's whining. I'm like, go lay down. Go lay down. Go chill. Go relax. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What's interesting about sheep too is sheep will not lie down and rest until they have food and shelter and they feel safe. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores, he leads me beside quiet waters. They won't drink from hard, fast waters because it's scary. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. When I was still a 17-year-old kid, I went to a CIY move conference, and, and a, a youth sponsor said to me, he read this verse, and he said, my cup overflows. You know what that means? Have you ever thought about what that means? It means you've got, you can contain so much love and forgiveness, and your cup is overflowing, because God has way more than you could ever even use up or contain for you. My cup overflows. Surely, surely, if all these things are true, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I'm going to pray for us. And Phil's going to come up and lead us in some more worship, and uh, you guys can be out of here. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you lead us beside still waters. 
Thank you that you are a God of love and mercy despite all of our flaws, despite all the things that we do wrong, despite our tendency to wander and dumb, despite our tendency sometimes to even assume that religious role of the hired hand, God, I just thank you for your love and your forgiveness and your patience for us. God, I pray this morning that you would help us to understand that just a little better. For our sake and for yours this morning, God, for your kingdoms. This is a gospel that I'll preach. This is a message that people need to hear. I pray that you give us the hope and the encouragement to share with others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.